Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wicked Wednesdays. I was very surprised. I did not realize that there'd be so much good feedback based on our last episode. And it's very gratifying. I'm very happy about that. Um, we don't have a lot of views. I didn't expect there to be a lot of views on a porn vlog. We get commentary on our videos all the time. With as many views as we have, somewhere in the nature of 3 to 4 million a month, that's a lot of comments. But on a video that only has 1,500 views, there are far more comments on this vlog than there are in any of our other videos. And I really appreciate that. A lot of the response has been very complimentary and has been very supportive and appreciative of what we're doing. And I like that. I really appreciate that. Um, people have been DMing me different topics that they want to talk about. And I really appreciate that. I'm leaving it very open-ended. I'm hoping that we can talk about any aspect of sexuality, BDSM, different kinks, the porn industry as we know it, the porn industry as I know it from a larger standpoint. So yeah, without further ado, I appreciate the great feedback we got from last week's episode. I will try to get these out every week on Wednesday. And this week, we're going to begin at the beginning. And a question that we get asked almost you know, as much as any other question, how did you start making amateur porn? For us, it's a bit of a funny story in that, you know, Bunny and I, when we started, never expected to be doing this years later or full time. Um, it was all kind of by accident. It all started here. We were hanging out watching TV one night and her pets, she had a cat and a dog, were just doing pet stuff, you know, stupid play fighting. And I had my phone, I took some video of a particularly funny moment, put it on YouTube just for shits and giggles. And just a couple days later, I get a notification saying I've got a message from YouTube. And I go read the message and it's a animal video compilation company offering us, I think it was 150 bucks for our 15 second dog and cat video. And at first I thought, oh, well, this is a scam. I was like, this is BS, you know, I'm sure that this is just spam. But I wrote back because money. And, you know, seemed like I was talking to a real person. You know, they explained the deal to us. I said, sure, you know, you, you give us 150 bucks and it's your video. You own it now. And the next day they PayPal us money. And we gave them the video. And then we kind of looked at each other. Like, so if someone would pay that much money for a 15 second cat video, how else can we monetize this whole, you know, internet YouTube thing? And we had already made a number of videos just for our own fun and pleasure and amusement. Um, not good videos, just prop a cell phone up and, and have sex and enjoy it. And we had three or four videos already of varying quality. And so it was very easy for us to be like, well, you know, if we can monetize a 15 second cat video, could we possibly make money doing something like porn? Why not? And so I went on to Pornhub and, you know, right across the very front screen, it's come be one of our models, sign up for our model program, signed up for the program, uploaded our first video and nothing, nothing happened. Um, at first we thought we were doing really well because we'd check on our video and there'd be, 
you have 10,000 views. And I thought, well, that's amazing. We have 10,000 views. You know, money should be rolling in at any moment. And no, not at all. I don't feel like I'm giving away any secrets. I've read all this stuff on Pornhub's website. They don't put it front and center in the model program. But if you dig down in the, in the frequently asked questions and in the tutorials and the other information, you can find this information. So I don't think I'm talking out of, out of order here. For a regular video in the model program, like we are in the amateur section, you get about 0.00064 of a cent per click on your video. Now, there are things that change that. I know that having a higher rating um, affects how much money you make. I know that depending on what kind of video you make, what kind of sex you're having, different advertisers will want to advertise alongside your video. So I'm sure that affects it. Um, but on average, month to month, we can figure it out pretty easily that our videos make about 0.00064 of a cent per click. At that rate, you need about 152,000 views to get $100 of actual money. So there is a threshold for payout. And until you reach that $100 threshold, you don't get paid. Now, you don't lose your views. The views accumulate month to month. So you may get 50,000 your first month, 50,000 your next month, and then the third month, when you finally hit 150,000, you know, then you'll get your payout of $100. But if you look through Pornhub, a lot of videos never get 150,000 views. So they never get a payout on that video. Now they may have enough videos and enough cumulative views that they reach that threshold. But until you do, you don't get money. So we didn't make any money for months you know, our video, we thought it was doing well. It was getting tens of thousands of views. And for us, that was very impressive. We were really happy about that. And we just kept expecting the money to come in and the money never came in. And at one point we actually just forgot about it. I remember being very surprised when I woke up one morning and I had a notice from PayPal. We used PayPal at that time. And it said, you know, so-and-so industries has deposited $106 in your account. And then I remembered, oh, I bet that's Pornhub. And so I navigated back to Pornhub where I hadn't been in a month. And I looked at our stats and sure enough, we had finally gotten high enough to reach our first payout. So that gave me a lot of information that told me how many views we had to have on a video in order to get paid about what the rate per click was, which was surprising to me how low it is. I understand, you know, so advertisers pay Pornhub to run ads. People click on our video. Pornhub tracks that and says, look, your ad got this view and they make a certain amount of money. We make a certain amount of money. And that's what keeps the whole ball rolling. We'll talk about, um, for sale videos and the other stuff later, but for free views where we make, you know, up until recently, we made all of our money in free views that's the rate. It's a very, very tiny amount of money per click. When we got that first payment from Pornhub, it was great. We were like, wow, this is fantastic. You know, we finally actually made money at this. Let's go to the grocery store and buy milk. And porn bought this milk and porn bought this bacon and this eggs and this bread. And that was great. But again, a hundred bucks isn't a lot. And it took a long time for us to realize a few things. 
One was our niche. Finding your niche on Pornhub is crucial as an amateur. Realizing that we had to be pretty consistent in getting videos out regularly. We had to cater to what the people that wanted to see us perform wanted to see. And so that was another, that's a key part about finding your niche. So in the beginning, we had no idea. We put up all kinds of stuff. We put up sensual videos and we put up kind of rough sex videos and we put up, you know, we were trying to find what it was that would be successful for us. And at some point we put up one of our, you know, hard sex, hard anal videos and that one was very successful right off the bat. I think that it got featured in the first month that it was up. And to be featured as an amateur is crucial. I don't want to pretend that I know exactly how it works, but I have a fair idea of how the featuring system works at this point. First of all, it's not some person sitting in a room selecting videos. They run an algorithm that selects the videos automatically for Pornhub. They have 90-some thousand models uploading videos. You know, no one person can sit there and choose what's going to be featured on the front page. So for us, the way it works, what I've noticed, is if a video gets a lot of views in a very short period of time, that can trigger the, the featured algorithm. If a video gets around 150,000 views or a little more and still has a very high rating, so 85% and up, it will frequently get featured. The third way that we found is if a video just finally accumulates about a half million views, 500,000 or so, and has a decent rating, somewhere above 80%, it has a chance of getting featured. But for us, what happens most frequently is we'll put a video out it takes about a month for us now to get around 150,000 views. And if it reaches that threshold and it still has a very high rating, it will usually get featured. Not always. We've had videos. There's a video right now we have that has almost 300,000 views and a good rating, but it hasn't gotten featured. So I, I obviously don't have it down to a science, but that's the feeling I get is every video that we've had, this is what's happened. The videos that don't get featured, you know, they may have a high view count, but they have a low rating. Or, you know, they're just hovering right around the 82, 81% mark. Those don't seem to get featured. So, yeah, the first video that we put up that got featured was a hard anal video. And, you know, overnight, we went from having a couple hundred thousand views to having a million views. And, you know, that changed everything. All of a sudden, all of our videos were getting more views because Pornhub's algorithms say, oh, you like this couple? Well, here's some more of their videos. Or you like this particular thing? Here's more of that because they want to keep you on screen, obviously. That works for them and their advertisers. So when our first video got featured, all of our videos' views went up. And we thought, oh, well, if that's what people want to see, we can make more of that because... That was something that we did um, recreationally. That wasn't something that we did for the camera. But it's also not something that is indicative of how we had sex all the time. And sometimes I think that becomes confusing for people is that they see the rough sex we do and they just assume that that's all we do in our personal life. And it's not. We have a widely varied sex life. 
We do gentle sex. We do fun, playful sex. We do medium rough sex, hard rough sex. We do really violent sex. And it's all based on how we feel. You know, it's, it's based on what we're in the mood for. And so when we made those videos, that was real stuff. That was what we really felt like doing that day. And it turns out that there is a niche for that. It was difficult for us in that we were very successful with those videos and we still are successful with those videos. But it is kind of limiting for us in that we still try to produce other kinds of porn. We'll put up, you know, rough sex vids that don't feature anal. We put up sensual sex vids that, you know, are more indicative of what our day-to-day -day sex is like. And I'm proud of those videos. We do a good job producing them and making them look good. But the market is telling us that that's not what they want. Um, if you look at any of our videos, the hard stuff, the hard anal videos, the hard sex videos, the rough sex videos, outperform our sensual videos 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 100 to 1. And I've done experiments just for the fun of it. And one really good example is a video I did with Bunny where we filmed a scene in the shower and it had a hard anal scene in it. And I posted two versions of that video on the same day. One had the hard anal scene in it, and another one had the hard anal scene taken out. So it was, you know, just a rough sex shower video. Exact same video, put up on the same day, same thumbnail, different tag cloud, different title. And still to this day, you can see the difference. So that's told us that, you know, as far as what people, our viewers want to see, what the people that click to our videos and navigate to us want to see is rough stuff. That's kind of difficult for us. I don't mind it, but we don't have rough sex all the time. We don't, you know, every time we're intimate, we don't have rough sex. So there is some pressure, you know, when we're making videos, we know that, okay, so we're going to shoot videos today. And we should try to hit these benchmarks. We should try to have a rough anal video. We should have some BDSM content. We should do some kind of rough general, you know, stuff. We should do some choking vids. We should do, you know, the stuff that we know will sell well, that will get a lot of views. At the same time as that's not the only thing we want to make. And so we do still produce stuff that isn't rough anal video. Um it still doesn't do very well, but I want to keep putting it out there, A, because it would be very monotonous, I feel, if you went to our channel and it was just nothing but hard anal, hard anal, hard anal. Um, our fans that like that, that's fine. It's a kink of ours. We enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that kink or shaming that kink. We do it because we find it exhilarating and fun and exciting, and we do that for real in our personal life and we don't always have the camera rolling so yeah we will keep doing a gamut but we will still specialize in what we do um, because that's where we get the views that's what allows us to do the other stuff so that covers finding your niche for us we realized very quickly you know our viewers made it abundantly clear to us that what they wanted to see was hard anal videos great that's our niche for new people signing up to Pornhub and a lot of new people have signed up recently. You really do have to find your niche. 
unless you're exceptionally good looking and have a really great body and people just enjoy watching you be you having regular vanilla plain you know some would say boring sex you're gonna have a hard time competing with the big studios that can afford models and can afford great equipment and can afford great lighting and all that goes into producing high quality porn unless you're fantastic looking you're probably gonna have to find your niche um, and that niche can be anything it can be cosplay it can be big toys it can be a particular kink it can be anything that you find traction with and that you enjoy doing you know I would recommend strongly don't do stuff just for the camera that gets grueling really quickly make sure that whatever you're putting out there is stuff that you enjoy genuinely you know when I'm watching something I can tell if the people are into it I personally really enjoy amateur stuff the professionally produced porn doesn't really do anything for me there's nothing wrong with it but when I used to watch porn I say used to because when you start producing porn and your day-to-day -day job is spending four or five hours editing porn videos you'd be surprised how little interest you have in watching porn recreationally I seldom log on to Pornhub and just go watch for fun anymore because it's my job so when I did I liked amateur stuff I liked seeing a real connection between two people I like to see real people having real sex that was what turned me on so when we started making porn that's what I strove for we started making stuff that I would find enjoyable and then I learned I learned a lot if you look at our first videos they're really bad as far as the lighting and the quality of the video and the audio and all that stuff I learned as I went and I'm still learning there is a threshold you know at this point we could get much better equipment and we could set things up in a way that was more professional except I don't really want that I don't want our videos to look too professional that's not the aesthetic I want it's not what I like to watch and for me it takes me out of the moment when I'm watching porn and it seems very slick and glossy and professional there's something less interesting to me about it than videos where someone propped a cell phone up on their nightstand and they're having sex you know maybe it's a voyeuristic thing maybe that's part of a kink maybe it's I know these are real people because there's not a cameraman there whenever there's a cameraman there it really feels fake and artificial to me and that's just my my personal kink when the cameraman's there I'm aware of his presence or their presence and that means that okay this was not two people that are having real sex this is a professional shoot where you know these people probably met that day and the amount of chemistry between them can only be so deep and there's a production crew and there's someone holding a boom mic and there's you know makeup and all the things that go into a professional shoot and we don't have that it's just us and we put a couple cameras up on tripods and we press record and we hope for the best and I'm getting better at being camera aware so that I position myself and the model for best effect so that you guys can see what you guys want to see and so that we look as good as we can on camera and sometimes we we get really lucky and both cameras will work and the sound is good and the angles are good and we look really nice and the lighting's good 
and sometimes it's just a disaster. Um, I posted a video recently where the main camera, the one that we were facing, either I didn't press record, which has happened, or it stopped recording, has happened, or whatever happened, but I only got, you know, a one second clip. So when I went to edit that video together, I'm looking for camera one, and there's no camera one. So all I had was a B camera from behind us, and so I thought, oh man, well this was a good video, this was a good session. I hate to lose it because I didn't have a camera rolling. My sub Katja, who's in a lot of our videos, I have a camera in her room, and that's part of our own personal DS play, but it sits near her, her nightstand and it faces her bed. And so it occurred to me that, well, that camera probably caught everything we did. It's not going to be good quality, and the microphone on that camera is awful. But I bet if I go back and look at that day, I'll find that footage, and I did. So I was able to piece together um, a video, and it doesn't look great, and it doesn't sound great, but we put it up because it, it was very frustrating for me to have lost that whole session. And B, I kind of liked the security cam voyeur aspect of it. That may be something we do on purpose in the future, where we set up a couple of cameras in a more realistic security angle and maybe play with that, see what that would look like, just to keep it fresh, just to keep us from making the same thing over and over again. You know, maybe we'll try that. It worked fairly well for this video and with better sound, but we'll, we'll experiment. We may try that. This podcast brought to you by an adult libation. I think I can do this on Pornhub. So yeah, when we started, I filmed everything on an iPhone one iPhone. We only had one. So I would set it up often with the, the front facing camera. So I had a bit of a monitor and I'd put it on the nightstand or I'd put it on a chair and we'd do our best to position ourselves in frame and shoot and just hope for the best. Our still, our number one viewed video was shot on an iPhone that I propped on a table and could not see while we were having sex. So that is not a great video and the auto exposure and auto color got really messed up so the colors are all weird there's terrible sound and yet it's still our number one video and will probably always be because it has such a big head start versus now when i'm shooting with ruby you know i am setting up lights i'm setting up lights because i've learned that when you light a model they look better than in, they're in the shadows that's, it seems kind of um, counterintuitive. You would think that, oh, well, I don't look great, so I want the lighting to be dim, so I look better in dimmer light. That may work at the dinner table, but on video, it seems like the less light you put into the camera, the worse you look. And I found that really flooding the, the subject with light and then putting a camera on it, that gives you more options. You can always bring it down a bit um, though if you're very reflective like I am, you have to be careful because the camera will white out on my skin sometimes. I'm still working on that. But yeah, more light is better. So yeah, now I am setting up lights with the cameras. But we're still just setting up two cameras, usually at 45 degrees from each other, with a light behind each one. And they're not amazing quality cameras. We have a Canon and we have a couple small DSLR type cameras. That's really, you know, we don't want to get super high end. We don't want multi-thousand dollar cameras, A, because, you know, we only look so good and higher resolution isn't going to help me look better. It will help some of my models look better, but you don't want to see me in 4K and that's fine. 
I kind of like the aesthetic we're going for. I will often take video that is too clean. If it's super, super clean and well lit and has super good resolution, I will actually overlay a film filter just because I don't like that super glossy, clean look in porn. Just my aesthetic, just what I like to see. So I'll bring down the resolution a little bit. That makes it look better to my eye. All right, so where were we? I might be getting kind of far afield in some of these because I'm not scripting them. I really am just sitting down with at least a bit of thought in mind about what I want to talk about. But I don't want to take the time to write out a script for every week. I do want this to be a kind of informal chat. So, that said, I will often get a bit sidetracked and go off on tangents. I was talking about how we got started in porn. And I had made it up to the point where we first started getting featured. The featuring helps a lot. It brings in tons of new views. When you get on the front page, you're exposed to people that wouldn't be searching for your type of porn, which means that your view rating will always go down because when people are searching for the type of porn that we make, they're happy when they find it versus when they see it on the front page of Pornhub and they click on it and they realize, oh, this is not our kink at all. And they downvote it. I'd prefer if they just, you know, navigated on somewhere else, but that's okay. We've gained millions and millions of views through those featurings, and that all snowballs. So once you get featured once, that builds your views. Then you get featured more, and you get featured more. Eventually, it can be the kind of thing where there's enough income coming in regularly that you can begin to think about, oh, well, maybe I could do this for a living. That's where I'm at now. I do this full-time. Not all of my models make enough off this too, but the rest of my models, they've got day jobs. They have a regular life. They enjoy what we do and they enjoy the extra income. For them, it's kind of a fun thing. I share all profits with my models. So where we're at now is maintaining this thing that we've built. And three years on, you know, we are getting to the point where I'm trying to get a video out every week. I'm doing this new blog with you guys, which I'm enjoying. But it does take time, which is why I'm not going to script it. I'm going to keep it very informal. You'll have to deal with my rambling and my sometimes far-off tangents. Yeah, I mean, we're going to continue to put out good content. I want to keep working with new models. I would like to keep experimenting with the type of videos we make, not just do the same thing over and over. We will keep putting out the stuff that we know sells. But there's a lot of things that we can do, and I'd like to experiment with that. So, yeah. Let's go ahead and hit our mailbag, which was a fun feature from last week. And, when you die, can I try, writes, what was the secret word? Okay, I totally would have busted to this if I wasn't at work. I think he meant safe word. Um, Ruby's safe word is her name, her real name. By the way, none of these are all real names. We have porn names. And yeah, don't watch this stuff at work. You're going to get in trouble. So, careful with that, bruh. Miss Canto Capri writes, I loved Ruby's cute smile towards the end when you slapped her butt. She is so cute and her hair is so shiny. Another great video, Mr. Wicked. Well, thank you, Miss Canto. Her hair is amazing. It is very shiny, very glossy, and it will not be restrained. We have tried ponytail holders and just about everything else. I like working with Ruby because we can show her face on screen but her face is often covered by her hair, so we're, we're working on that. Big Tits 9419 writes, 
Wicked. You are not fat or ugly. Thank you. You are an extremely sexy, attractive man. This series will be very interesting. I've always wanted to know more about the behind-the-scenes stuff when it comes to doms and subs. I hope you and the models are safe and healthy. We are safe and healthy. I appreciate that. And I do want to have more behind-the-scenes stuff. How we make the videos, what our relationships are like. And I will try to cover that in future installments of this weekly podcast. And Princess Cutie Pie 77 writes... Hi, it's me again. I was vanilla until about four years ago. As I've grown in the lifestyle, I've come to know and understand what I do and don't like as far as kinks go. As a submissive, I feel my wants, desires, and limits are much more respected than as a vanilla, and I feel more heard now than ever. This is a great comment because it hits on something that I've really wanted to talk about in the DS sense and in the BDSM world. And that's, we're really good about communication and consent and respecting each other in a way that will seem counterintuitive to the vanilla world. I know that people that aren't on board with what we do, they don't understand how BDSM works. They don't understand how dominant and submissives work. They see it, and the only thing they can think of is, oh, that's an abusive relationship. And sure, there are certainly BDSM dom-sub relationships that are not good. They're not healthy. They're abusive, just like vanilla relationships are often abusive and bad. What I have found in the BDSM world is that there's much more awareness about consent. There's much more awareness about how kinks work and about communicating your needs to your partner. That's something that happens in the BDSM world very regularly. Just like we talk about, you know, exchanging STI information and sexual safety and what our limitations are and practicing safer sex. That seems like a very open conversation on the kink side of things in the BDSM world than it is in the vanilla side of things. In the vanilla side, it seems much more like the Wild West, where people aren't communicating what they like and what they need and their sense of sexual safety and such. Like, when I get together with a new BDSM partner or someone that's into BDSM, we'll often talk about, you know, what our limitations are long before we get into being intimate with each other. And that's something that didn't happen in my vanilla relationships. We just kind of felt it out. Now, it's true that in a vanilla sex relationship, you're not likely to push the limits of what would be normally acceptable. But at the same time, that kind of communication of, well, I like this and I don't like this, I would encourage vanilla couples to have the same thing and have more of that communication. But to address what, you know, Princess Cutie Pie is talking about, yeah, I think you will find when you experiment in the BDSM world, with experienced BDSM partners, we do put that front and center. We say, I don't like my hair pulled, or I like it when you pull my hair, or I don't like having hands around my neck. That freaks me out. We talk about that up front before we get into intimate situations. And I think that's a very good and healthy thing. That's something the vanilla world should borrow from the kink world. As far as the abusive nature of these relationships and, you know, are they fundamentally abusive? No, they're not. They really aren't. I definitely understand that someone looking from the outside 
who sees someone tied to a piece of furniture and being whipped with a crop, how can that not be abusive? How can that not be a bad relationship? Easy. Consent. Consent is everything in these relationships. The person that has been tied to that piece of furniture has consented to it. That's what they want to do. Why do they like that? That is another conversation. And we can talk about the sexual power dynamics, the exchange of power dynamics, the fact that the line between pleasure and pain is gray, and that some pain involved in pleasure can heighten that pleasure. But sometimes it's just the pain itself that can be very releasing. It can be very cleansing and cathartic. That's a, we will definitely get into the kink aspects of power play and the role that pain plays in BDSM, the role that, you know, restraint plays in BDSM. It's not what you think. You'd be surprised. These things, you know, if you don't come to this from a BDSM background, they can seem crazy and wild and deviant and bad. And I hear that a lot. It's still, even with the popularity of things like Fifty Shades of Grey, I'm not a fan. It did introduce the wider public to some aspects of BDSM. And it made a lot of people curious enough to find out about more BDSM-related sex, kink-related sex, dominant-submissive-related sex. And that's a good thing. It wasn't the best ambassador for what we do because there's a lot of really questionable things in those books and those movies. We might have a, a separate, this is what's wrong with that. But it did expose us to a wider audience. Not everybody understands what we do. I totally understand that. I've been doing this for 22 years and I learn new stuff every day. I know that our community has progressed. It is a very progressive community overall. And we are very much into communication. We're very much into consent. We're very much into limits and respecting those limits. People that don't respect those limits have no place in the BDSM community. And unfortunately, I do hear from people that their limits weren't respected, that their bounds were pushed repeatedly, that they were, you know, coerced into doing more than they wanted to. And I don't want that. I don't want anybody to have to go through that experience. Communication is key. You do have to communicate your limits clearly. And if someone's not respecting those limits, don't play with them. Don't give them second chances to hurt you in a way you don't want to be hurt. Stand up for yourself. Find out ahead of time what this person's about as far as consent limits, respecting boundaries, you know, that's a whole thing. I do want to get into that more, but I wanted to thank Princess Cutie Pie for a really good comment on that. I think we'll talk more about the production, how we go through our stuff, how we select our thumbnails, our titles, our tag cloud. I'll give some more pointers on how to get running with your brand new porn channel and things you can do to promote yourself that don't take a huge amount of time. But we'll get into that more in our next episode. And I will see you guys next week. Leave comments, leave suggestions. Thank you very much for listening. And have a good night.